Evening. Again. That's good. Love uh, worshipping God and uh, thinking about his creation. That was quite moving what uh, Andy and Katie shared. And while they were sharing that, I thought, yeah, actually, though, it's before those four cells, wasn't it? Because he says, before I formed you in your mother's womb. So even then we're a bit late to the party. I don't, I don't know any... Is this on? I don't know which one's on. Yes. Um, I don't know anyone who's been that close. Um, but God knew even before then, uh, before he even formed Florence in Katie's womb, he knew her. By name, and have called her. It's amazing, really. So it's good uh, to think about that, and it actually helps me in what I want to speak about. Because we look at God's creation, and when we think about creation, I think we think a lot about, which we're going to think a little bit about tonight, about the, the like the the earth. You know, we think about creation, taking care of creation. You know, the plants and the trees and all the rest of it. But we're part of creation, right? Which we just heard. We're part of creation. We created us. Uh, we didn't come here by accident. Um, or, you know, anything like that. There's a purpose for our lives. And that means that we have a purpose as Christians for the rest of the world as well. But just in case you don't believe me, um, I've got some verses. Um, because God is always reminding us that he's a God of creation. Whatever the scientists say, or whatever way you think it happened, God created. God created. We can't... It's keep you up till three or four in the morning, if not later, if you start thinking about how did it all come into being exactly. Because our minds can't comprehend it. You could even be a non-Christian and you'll be up till three or four in the morning because to the Christian you'll say, okay, God created, who created God? And if, they're, uh, if they think something exploded, I'm going to say, okay, well, who created the thing that exploded? And whatever you get to, our brains can't comprehend it. So I go with the supernatural, which is supernatural God. And uh, the evidence, when I've looked for it, is there. But Nehemiah 9 verse 6, You alone are the Lord, you have made heaven the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth, and everything in it. I mean, those pictures that Katie put up, they're brilliant, aren't they? I loved seeing them. Of The, the pigeon, I think that's what it was, the bird, uh, just in case I'm wrong, um, was on top of the Empire State Building. Right? So you look at the Empire State Building, brilliant, man-made, fantastic, but man couldn't have made it without the raw materials in the first place. So effectively, it came from God. Right? Because you can't, you can't make nothing out of nothing. Something had to be being before. God says, I am who I am when he was asked his name. Psalm 86, 8 to 10. He alone is God. There is none like him among the gods. All nations should worship him because he made them. He made the world. Psalm 95. Uh, the Lord is the great God and king above all gods. He made the sea and his hands formed the dry land. Worship the Lord our maker for he is God. God created, Psalm 100 verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. Isaiah 45, 18, for this says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it. I am the Lord and there is no other. God created. If we leap into the New Testament, there's loads of verses I could have picked up. But in Acts 4, the disciples raised their voices to God and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Acts 14, people who worship idols should be taught to turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea and all things that are in them. They didn't doubt that he created Acts 17, again, idol worshippers were taught that they should not worship idols of gold or silver. The true God who rules heaven and earth is the one who made the world and gives us life. You know, you can have a dead body. There isn't one there. I don't know why I'm pointing there. It's just something I do. Uh, You can have a dead body and a live body lying one next to the other. 
They're exactly the same. They have the same organs, they have the same bits and pieces. Just one has life and one doesn't. God breathes life into humans' being and it's his decision when that life gets taken. But he is the creator. He is the creator. Romans 1.20, the things that have been made by God clearly reveal not just his power, but also his Godhead. They prove that he is God, and those who fail to recognise him as God are without excuse. He's basically saying, if you look at creation, and look at the complexity, and as someone prayed, Corinne, I think, you know, when you look at what we found out recently about DNA and everything else, the intricacy that's in that, it's impossible. You can't just, that doesn't just happen. And you look at all of creation, and it speaks of a designer. And so the Bible says you're left without excuse. They're left, those who fail to recognise him are left without excuse. Those who reject these truths will fall deeper and deeper into error and will absolutely be rejected by God. That is a harsh warning. And so haven't we got a responsibility to a massive part of God's creation, which is the other human beings who don't know him? So we've got one picture up there. I've got to keep this on me. We've got one picture up there. So God created. Uh, God saw all that He had made uh, in the be- right at the beginning, and it was very good. It wasn't just good; it was very good. We know there'd been no fall at that point. It was perfect. There was no corruption. There were no weeds in the garden. Uh, there was no need for the feed and weed. It was all perfect until the fall. So you've got two pictures up there. Can you see the difference? You see the difference in the first one. See the first one. It's nice, isn't it? That's the first one, goes one, two. See that? What do, you th- what do you think the difference is? Weeds. Who said weeds? Well done, Kevin. Weeds. One's been looked after and one hasn't. You see that? And if it's left to its own devices, look what happens. You can see the difference, can't you? There's a difference in the two. One is good, one is not so good. In the beginning... It was good, but when it's been left to itself and now there's decay in the world, it decays and creation does decay. It does decay. If you leave your garden for any length of time, it gets in a mess. I know this from experience. I'm not the best. I love it when it rains because it normally follows me by saying, oh, look, I can't cut the grass. What a shame. I was really looking forward to it. (laughs) And our Christian response to creation, when we look at the damage that can happen, is that we should look after it. We know that. There's a big um, thing going on in, uh, with Sky at the moment, isn't there? Uh, not the person, the, the TV channel. And um, talking about all the plastic in the oceans and the damage it's doing uh, to uh, the ocean uh, beings. The stuff that gets washed up on beaches. They've built this big wow. I don't know if you've seen it. It's huge. It's all out of plastic. And they've taken it around the country to show people just what the plastic bottles and stuff like that does when we just dump them and don't reuse them. So we have some, uh, some responsibility as Christians to maybe not waste uh, so much, uh, be good stewards of the created order. Maybe we're into recycling. Uh, big panic in our house recently. All over the Billericay discussion page about the, the pink sacks haven't been delivered. Have you seen that? They've all been delivered now. The panic is over. We're okay. Um, but people want to recycle, and that's good. We shouldn't waste uh, too much. But as I say, creation is about people as well. And when we look at the decay that can happen between when something's perfect and look, looked after, we can see also what can happen in the world and our society. It's a, it's a parallel to humanity. We're in a good... The world was good. It's, been fought, it's fallen now. It's in decay. Society is in decay. But then Jesus comes, and he heralds in this new age... 
And we're in this sort of middle bit and there is an age to come when he will return again. And thank good for that. But in the meantime, here we are. So, slide two, here we go. So creation is groaning. The Bible tells us that. Creation is groaning. Uh, like birth pains, if we stick on these birth stories. Um, if you think about it, uh, we look around, we've got to look for the signs. As Christians, we need to understand the world and, its posi- and, and, and the times that we're living in. I just want to read from Matthew uh, 24. And I want you to see if you can see any parallels to what's going on in the world now. I'm going to read from Matthew 24, uh, uh, verse 4 onwards, and then come back to uh, the passage later on as well. Jesus answered... Watch out that no one deceives you. So do you ever think that the world is being deceived? We do, don't we? We, And we know Satan is the accuser, the slanderer, the deceiver, the enemy. We don't like him and he hates us. But he loves all the other religions because they're all turning people away from Christ. All the other cults turning people away from Christ. So he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Even the worldview that says, well, you can't, you know, creation doesn't speak of God, if we're talking about creation. Or God, who is God? He doesn't exist. We are who we are. We got formed. One day there, was, there wasn't life, and the next day there was. The viewpoints, watch out that no one deceives you. And it goes on to say, for many, verse 5, will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. People have set themselves up as gods, and people have followed them. And you see evil people, even in the last 200 years, do you think, how would anyone follow them? Yet they did. And they set themselves up as God and killed millions. People followed them. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars. you think that's possibly happening at the moment? Think about North Korea and the US and the rest of the world and the name-calling and the baiting. They're playing with the world's life. And I would be really scared. But I know God is in control. And I said to you before, Billy Graham recently said, it's okay, we're going to be okay. I've read the last page in the Bible. But we have got wars and rumours of wars. We have for a long time. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Have we seen that recently? Kingdom against kingdoms. There will be famines. I mean, it it brings us to tears. Andrew and I watching Sky News just before I came out. And you see these poor children you know, uh, on their mother's breast. But the mothers are so undernourished, they can't feed them properly. They're going to be refugees for life if nothing happens. And the world stands by, and it brings you to tears. Listening to Rope last uh, week, Jay, you know, five mothers out of prostitution. Oh, and by the way, they bring their kids as well that are also in prostitution, because you get a kind of two-for-one deal. breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. There'll be famines, and there are famines. There'll be earthquakes in various places. Are you hearing the alarm bells? Because I read this, and I think, well, this, if Jesus says this is the signs of, of the end of this time, then surely it's coming. Now, preachers have been saying this for 2,000 years. We don't know when it's going to be, but we've got to be ready. And he goes on to say, all these are beginning of birth pains. And then he says, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted. Have you seen any images of Christians being persecuted recently? There are loads. Loads. And put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Have you been ridiculed recently? At that time, many will turn away from the faith, and then we'll know where the true faith is. 
and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Can you think of a time since Jesus was here last, in, in person, I don't mean in, by spirit, in person, when um, information can be spread more rapidly than it is now. I mean, you know, I was a director of an investment bank in 1995, and I didn't have an email address. You know, I thought www was whiskey with water. I didn't understand. When they asked me for an email address, I said, why would I want that when I can have all the research piled up this high on my desk? How quickly times have changed. Through social media and the internet, the gospel is spreading all over the world. And he says, when that happens, the end will come. But in the meantime, uh, what page am I? I've lost my page now. That's it. In the meantime, we're keeping watch. We're keeping watch. That's lovely, isn't it? Do you know what that is? You're so clever, you like. You're sharp as a beach ball. They've got the, the flags there. It looks lovely and manicured, isn't it? I wonder if that just happened by accident. In the meantime, we're keeping watch. Bernard and I went on a pastoral visit recently and the people we were seeing are going through a hard time. They just said, oh, you know, the state of the world, Ian, what are we, you know, it's just ridiculous. And they listed off a whole host of things they see in their area and various bits and pieces that are going on. And they said, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? What's supposed to happen? And I said, you know, it just starts with you. You know, I feel like you're asking the question that God's asking. You know, the world is in decay if it's left to itself, it's not going to be beautiful. It starts with you. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you can make an influence in your home, in your street, when you speak to people. You can do good. You can bless. You can pray. Sometimes I think God's saying, well, look, the world is decaying. It's getting a bit darker. So where are you, the Christians? Because he calls us to be salt and light, doesn't he? And that golf course, look, I don't know where that is. I just pulled it off the internet, but it looks good. I might go and visit it. I don't know. I have to find out. It looks, mind you, I don't like water. I tend to find it a lot. Um, but the golf courses are great and they're manicured. And you can see that's been looked after, can't you? Why? Why do you think, what's the difference between that? I mean, it's all the same stuff. It's grass and trees and water and shrubs. What's the difference? Someone that obviously has looked after it, haven't they? Obviously. You can see it. It's all been cut lovely. You've got nice shrubs there. I mean, if I was gardening that, I'd be pulling them out thinking they're weeds because I just know nothing about gardening. But the reason why, do you know what these people are? The, the three, not those lot over there, these three. Do you know what we call them on the golf course? Who said idiots? Did someone say idiots? <laughs> what do we call them? Do you know what we call them? Groundsmen. Groundsmen. Green keepers. Green keepers. They're green keepers. They're keeping the greens. So the green is what you put on, but it means when you're playing through the green, it means the whole uh, golf course. They're the green keepers. And what they're doing, they're preserving things. If they left that golf course to rack and ruin, it would just, it would just overgrow. You wouldn't be able to play on it. You wouldn't be able to enjoy it. But they keep it good. They do good things to it. Um, they preserve it. They treat it. So we've got a small back garden with some lawn. Some of it's fake, which I love because I don't have to do anything. Though Andrew did ask me to hoover up the pine needles recently. I prayed for rain, didn't come. Um, but anyway, every now and again I cut the grass. And I noticed uh, in the early summer the grass was a bit weak and light green. I thought, oh, I wonder if I should, I've never done it in my life, try some of this feed and weed stuff. So I went up towards Stock in that Staines place and I said, you got any feed and weed? He goes, what do you want? I said, I don't know. 
So I've never done this before, just a bit of feed and weed. What works? He said, well, it all works. What do you want? I said, I don't know. I said, I've got no idea what I'm talking about. And then I saw the evergreen. Evergreen, I've seen adverts for that in the Daily Mail, and I thought it must be good because the Daily Mail always speaks truth. So I thought, right, let's get the evergreen. So I've got the evergreen. I put this stuff on, I spread it about, and uh, next morning I got it, it was all black. Oh, no, I've just ruined it. And it said, buy the spreader. And he didn't have the spreader in the shop. So I thought, oh, I'll just get the hand in there and just throw it about a bit, which is what I did. And it all went black. And I thought, oh, no, that's terrible. And I thought I'd done a really bad job. And then I did what every man normally does after he's done the job, and I read the instructions. And the instructions says, don't be worried if it all goes black. That's perfectly normal. I thought, yes, I'm a gardener. Two weeks later, the grass started getting really green. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I said to Andrew, come and look at the grass. She said, that's, in- that's incredible. It's so much green it was before. I said, you wait in a minute. I'm going to cut it. I'm going to do the stripes. Because I like I can do stripes. And I can, I can look back and say, it was very good. <laughs> so I did my stripes and I was very happy. I was happy until four days later. This grass had taken a life on itself. I thought, I've got to do it again. It used to be only once every two weeks. It was so rubbish, but now it's been fed and it's been watered. And and now I've made hard work for myself. And I have to keep cutting the grass. But it looks good. But it had been fed. It had been treated. Now, that bottom picture, who do you think they are? They're the members. They're the members. You know what they do? They just turn up. They just turn up with no real thought about how the course is in such a pristine condition. They just want to enjoy it. They're not too sure what goes on behind the scenes. And you know, the membership of a golf club, you can have about 2,000 members to six greenkeepers. Yet it's those six that make a difference for the rest. It's those six that are preserving everything for the rest. And they're a minority. And if we didn't know anything about anything, you'd say, well, six people can't look after something for 2,000, but they can, and they do. And it happens all over the country. Christians are in the minority, but we can help in speech, in action, in the things we say and do to preserve society. And the thing about the greenkeepers, do you know one thing about them? Because sometimes I get up early. Sometimes I go for an early little practice. They're there really early. They'll be there at six in the morning doing what they're doing. Do you know why? Because they're committed. They want that looking good. They don't get up and think, oh, gee, I can't be bothered today. I think I'll leave it, do my devotional bit later on. But they can't. Day's already started, they can't get on the course. So they start their day, they get over there and they change it. Without the Christians, without us getting up in the morning, praying for the world, seeking to do what's good, and while society's in decay, it'll become overgrown if we don't become the greenkeepers for society, for God's creation. They're committed, and the Bible says to us, God says to us, don't be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord always. And of course we get a bit tired out sometimes and burdened with it all, but really... Really, a minority can make such a difference. Jesus started with 12. He started with 12. Now he's got a third of the earth. And we've got the internet and the gospel is spreading. So we need to be ready. And we need to be ready about these signs of times. We can look at creation, we can look at all the good things that are going on. But we need to be ready. And in Matthew 24, he goes on to say, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun. Jesus doesn't know nor the Son, only the Father. That confuses me, but that's what it says. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, 
Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We just don't know when he's coming. But the thing is, he goes on to say, verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant? This is the green keepers for, for us, you know, the, the Christians, the people who have been helping preserve society. Who is then the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. He says, I want to find you ready. Truly I'll tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he's not aware of and he will cut him into pieces and assign him the place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That passage talks about us keeping watch. I don't know when Jesus is going to return, but I do know he will. He's going to do it. But the signs are there. and It might not be in my lifetime or yours, but it might be. It could be tonight, it could be tomorrow. And I want to be personally, and I want it for the church here to be found, be found ready. Ready. It's urgent. There's a lot of hardship in the world. and We're the green keepers. So we've got to keep watch, keep faithful, keep wise in everything that we do and, and recapture a sense of urgency. I loved it. Um, I'm sure the other congregations had a great time this morning as well. While I was here, we had, I don't, our church was packed and about a third of them were non-Christians. I love that. It should be a place of sign and wonders where people say, surely God is among them. Where the gospel is preached and it's backed up. Because there's too much at stake. His truth, his word, under attack. But it's about his way. As Christians, we're about his way and his destiny. So we need to keep short accounts with God so that we're ready for whenever he comes back, working for his kingdom, as he says, on earth as in heaven. And then one day he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And as Billy Graham said, it's all going to be okay in the end. But let's be ready. So creation, think about it. We've sung great songs tonight, been great worshipping with you. But part of that creation are other human beings. And you're going to see them this week. And they don't know. They don't know. Invite them along. We've got our alpha leaflets. We've got our services. It was brilliant to see a lot of non-Christians this morning come in at quarter past nine as well, purely for spiritual nourishment as well as the bacon rolls. But it was brilliant to see Christians and non-Christians talking. Let's get that sense of urgency back because they are part of God's creation and they're lost. They're lost. And when I hear about pastors sacrificing so much for the gospel makes me feel a little ashamed. I think, well, what, I should be doing so much more. And really, I'm comfortable, and you're comfortable, and I want to be a bit uncomfortable, uh, to be a bit on the edge, uh, to be making sure that we're speaking to people, being the green keeper, speaking into their lives, prophesying, praying for healing. Uh, we've been given God's power, but we ask for it to be demonstrated in his love. Let me pray for you, and then uh, I'll hand back to Katie. We thank you, Lord, for your creation. We thank you that we are stewards of it, but we know that it's decaying, and we know that you will create the new heavens and new earth. But we also know part of creation are other human beings. And your word says that you sent your son who loved the world, loved the world, and help us to love the world. Help us to weep for the lost. Thank you for the services this morning. Thank you for the brigade service here with so many non-Christians. We pray for fruit of those services. We pray we won't lose sight of our mission, 
to seek and save the lost and also to preserve society, to be the salt and the, and the light in an often decaying and dark world. Help us to realise, Lord, it starts with me. It starts with each of us individually that we can make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.